Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by Topo Designs. Based in Denver, Colorado, Topo is committed to creating quality bags and clothing that stand the test of time. Check out their products at topodesigns.com. Sound and Vision is also brought to you by Charter Coffee House. Charter is on Graham Avenue in East Williamsburg, just one block from the Graham L stop. I just grabbed a bag of Middle State Guatemala Espresso, and it's really good. Also, I had one of their donuts from Underwest, a blueberry thyme one. The combination was great. Stop by Charter, great service, coffee, food, and even music and atmosphere. Find out more at chartercoffee.com or follow them on Instagram at charter underscore BK. This summer, you can help support Sound of Vision Podcast by going to soundandvisionpodcast.com and getting a Sound and Vision canvas tote. All proceeds go directly to paying parking tickets in Chelsea while visiting galleries to talk to artists. This week, Tony Mattelli. Tony Mattelli is an artist who was born in Chicago and lives and works in New York City. Tony received his BFA from the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design in 1993 and his MFA from Cranbrook Academy of Art in 1995. He's represented by the Marlboro Gallery. He's had solo shows at Marlboro, the State Hermitage Museum in Russia, the Aldrich Museum in Connecticut, the Davis Museum in Massachusetts, the Bergen Kunstmuseum in Denmark, Palace de Tokyo in Paris, and many, many more. He's shown in group shows too numerous to list. He's received a NIFA grant and is in the collections of over 20 museums around the world. Tony just provided sculptures for the Margiela show that just happened in Paris for Fashion Week, and he's just opened a show at 500 Cap Street in San Francisco. I stopped by Tony's Long Island City studio for a chat about art school, the lore of New York City, rock and roll, colorade, and a lot more. Here's our conversation. I didn't know that Colorade had any kind of code whatsoever. I look on the back of the sheet, there's no numbers or anything like that. I think some of them do, yeah. or, or they do have codes at some point, because yeah. I remember ordering them. Yeah, I remember picking a color through Colorade and just being looking around the studio being like, well, how the what? fuck do we tell anyone about this? <laughs> it's like the brown one. The bluish, grayish. <laughs> yeah, and then you just have to match it to Pantone anyway, because no one knows what the fuck color right. is. But there's a ton of them, and it's not like there's 20 colors. No, there's a ton. Yeah. But I used to use those to make collages, which were great. Yeah, yeah, that's that's why you get them in art school usually. Yeah, that's, that's how they. Yeah, because I had to do that drill of like copying an old master painting with Colorade, mm -hmm. and it sucked. I didn't like doing it. Yeah, and Just then like years three later, of color. yeah, yeah, <laughs> years later, I I wanted to make a collage, and I was like, well, I need colored paper, and I was like, oh, what about Colorade? Mm -hmm. And at that point, it was an assignment, and it is really nice. Yeah, it's like hand screened. It's beautiful. It's matte, beautiful. Yeah luscious the mat worked color. with my my deal so mm -hmm. yeah so you're just sitting on that stuff back there <laughs> i look at it once in a while yeah, yeah you need why well, you need some oh no <laughs> yeah they're they out, out of business they're yet? out of business yeah, i think it's like a rare thing to see those we used this uh we used to use this color called um cartoon color mm -hmm. and they were out of california and they were they were made the colors were made to stick to uh, mylar for cell animation mm -hmm. And for years and years and years, I've been using that color. They were perfect. They're super opaque. They're vinyl, made of vinyl. Uh, 
uh, for like flash yeah. colors. Totally matte, super opaque. We used them for years, and we called them up to order a new batch of colors recently. And all the time we were saying, how are these people still in business? Like, who the fuck is painting on, <laughs> uh, like, my cells for animation? You were. We were, yeah. It turns out we were, like, the only people buying the this shit. <laughs> it was, and Cause was also buying yeah. this the same color. And it was at Cause's studio, and he was like, dude, those guys are going to go out of business. So I've been having Golden make his, his own, like, versions oh, of those yeah, colors. yeah. So that's and so we called them and they're like, yeah, we we're, we're not out of business, but we've stopped making color. I said, you well, what so you what making? the fuck are you doing? <laughs> what are you making? So, so you're just selling sheets of mylar. Like, how, how do you run a business like that? Um, so yeah, now we're we're having custom the custom paints made. It's yeah, I don't. I guess Colorade was only in business for those assignments. The art that school are probably not being made anymore. Right. Yeah, because they would. I remember for years you, they would be one lingering around in the case at like New York Central or something. You know, mm-hmm. like you'd see one of them mm-hmm. and then they slowly disappeared. I think I bought this through eBay. I don't even know if I bought them when they were in business. I don't. Oh yeah. I, maybe I bought this like five years ago. They could oh, have been out of business. They might have been. I think I paid a pretty dollar for it. Yeah. Above retail. Probably so. Yeah. Retail. <laughs> Collector's item. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> Colorade brings me to art school. Did, what was your school? What was your school experience like? Uh, I went to art school. Um, I went to art school in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. What about high school? Were you into art then? High school, I was into art. Yeah, I was into art. I was into music and uh, architecture. Mm-hmm. I guess the the creative disciplines. I did theater and dr- drama and stuff like that. You know? Right. Uh, but I was you know interested in doing the lighting, the the technical aspects of that. Yeah. Where but, did you grow up? And um. A town called Delavan, Wisconsin. So it's a very mm-hmm. small, five thousand person town. Yeah. Um, and for some reason, we had a really good art program, um, or I should say, a really good art teacher. Right. And that's I, all it takes. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And that's all it was. Yeah. Anyway, that was the, the art department, right. and he was really cool. And there were the the music guys were really cool, and they somehow managed to keep it funded in a in a way that made sense to everybody. You know, to have like actual vital things happening yeah. and, and keep us in clay and paint and all that stuff. So I got into it in high school. I knew I wanted to do either music, architecture, or, or art, you know, and I uh, looked at my options and, uh, and um, I thought I was better at music than I was at art. And I had a conversation with my mom that kind of changed my life. And she said, well, you know, um, you don't necessarily have to do what you're best at. You have to do just what you like. What the you most. like. That's a cool model. Uh, it is. A, it blew my mind that she would say that to yeah. me. And keep in mind, I'm the only one to go to college in my in my family. No one before me had, and no one. No one. I'm the youngest, so I was. That was it. Yeah. So she had no expectations for me in any way. It wasn't like uh, I was choosing between being a, a doctor or an artist or something like right. that. Ah, you know, the like, beauty of no <laughs> expectations. Right. Yeah. It's, ex- <laughs> it's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, just by graduating high school, I had already exceeded the expectations in a sense, you know. Uh, she's like, all right, I don't have to worry about him anymore. He totally. made it through high school. Totally. And that was, and for her, that was cool. Yeah. You know, and the fact that I even went to college, like, blew her mind and was, was super, for her, that was meaningful and also for me, you know. Yeah. So then I went to art school, um, which was, you know, a fairly crummy art school. Mm-hmm. Um, regional, small regional art school. Didn't know about anything right. when I was there. Self-contained. Totally so self-contained. Yeah. You know, they talked about like major figures in Milwaukee, 
Yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that. Provincial. <laughs> Super provincial. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Um, and I and I had no idea. I mean, I, I looked at art history books like, you know, um, uh, the, what, what is it called? Ganders or whatever oh, it is. Yeah, you yeah, know, the, the, like the, the giant art history right. book that everyone studied in high school. Or like the E.H. Gombrich. That's all yeah, I knew. Yeah. That's all I knew. So I knew about like Salvador Dali and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and Max Ernst. Titian. Yeah. 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 The staples. The staples, yeah. The canon. The canon. Nothing outside of that. Yeah. And so even in, in college, we weren't really learning anything. Uh, and I took a semester abroad to New York to do like an independent study. Um, and that, you know, changed my, yeah, that changed my life. Blew your mind, probably. Totally blew my mind. I saw Matthew Barney's first show at Barbara Gladstone. Mm-hmm. This might, must have been like 91 or 92. I was going to say 92, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Was uh, it the drawing restraint? Yep. Yep. On, uh, I guess it was, uh, what was it, Wooster or, or something yeah. like that, Mercer or something like that. Um, and that was completely mind blowing. And uh, I did an internship at Larry Rivers Studio at that time. Oh, wow. Um, it was super cool. Super, yeah. super cool. And, and, Learned about um, <laughs> learned about ideas that I just was not exposed to, and it actually yeah. made me angry because I, I met all these other students from better schools, like Micah and uh, School of the Art Institute and stuff, and I was like, "What the fuck are they teaching me at my school?" They're, yeah. they're like actively withholding information from me. I was <laughs> I I, I I felt angry about it, yeah. and I went. No, back. they wanted to protect you. <laughs> <laughs> the dangerous ideas, right, the dangerous right. art ideas. That weird stuff happening over in New York. <laughs> Deconstruction. Yeah. <laughs> Stay away from it. It's going to ruin you. Right, right. It's going to ruin your line. <laughs> so, um, well, you, so never, went, so you never looked back after that. Well, I, I, went back to, I went back to Milwaukee with a big chip on my shoulder. Yeah. I was like, okay, I got to get out of here as soon as possible and get my ass back to, to New York. Yeah. Because that's, that's uh, where, where it's happening. That's what, where everything is, uh, is going on. At the same time, you're into music too, right? Yeah, Were but you playing? But no, I wasn't playing anymore. Oh, okay. I, I figured I actually wasn't very good at it. Uh, and I figured I couldn't separate my interests in that way. I was I just became too con- too consumed with with uh being in the studio and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So when you went to art school, when you graduated, you just immediately it was like I'm going to New York. Graduated, and I went to gra- and then I went to graduate school. Yeah. And I went to uh back then Graduate school was sort of necessary. Right. Um, you, everyone you heard about and wanted to be and with careers that were flourishing, they, everyone went to graduate school. Yeah. It's what you do. It's what you do. It was, the, it was like the golden era of yeah. graduate, art graduate schools. So back then, it was, there were only a few options, you know, the, the really good ones. So mm-hmm. I tried to get into all those. I ended up going to Cranbrook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <clears throat> so immediately after that, I went to, went to New York. Yeah. Was graduate school good? It was it was good. I, I yeah. It, it was. I mean, good. it gave you two years of work. It was good for me. And what's good about that particular school is that uh, there's no curriculum. Oh yeah. Um, you just work. So you just work. Yeah. And you get so credits. What it, and you're self motivated or you're not. Yeah. And uh, you make work or you don't. Um, and you learn right away who's serious and who isn't. Right. When you're there. Yeah. And you learn how to. Um, you learn about a studio practice, you know, and that to me is the most critical thing you, you can learn about. How do you how do you generate your own ideas for no good reason, really? Yeah. Um, and how do you continue working when there's no assignment? 
you know that's right. that was all really valuable yeah and, and spoiler alert that's kind of how it is now it's like that's you're exactly gonna you're is, gonna yeah. get out of whatever school it is what you put into it mm-hmm. you know i mean there's there's the people who go for basically like a two two or three year vacation yeah yeah <laughs> and they're just chilling and mm-hmm. making a little bit of work and then there's the people who are just grinding and in there and you know doing it i was astonished to see those people you know graduate school was much cheaper back then and Cranbrook was probably one of the cheaper ones, mm-hmm. but it was still a ton of money. Yeah. Uh, and I was paying for it. So I was, I was conscious of the money I was putting out. So right. I was like, how the fuck can you come here and just sit on your ass and treat it like a, it's like amazing. A day camp. It's right. Boggled my mind. It's um, a, as a teacher now at a university, I see kids who come in and they like, have a studio mm-hmm. and yeah, they're right. never there. Yeah, yeah. And I get it. You know, there's a lot of stuff on the internet that's fun to watch or mm-hmm. to, you know, to keep you distracted, but you're paying and you're getting a studio. Yeah. Well, and also going to the studio is really tough. You know, when you, you have a, other shit to do, I presume they're maybe they're, are they all art students? Are they all majoring in art? Yeah. Well, I mean, the ones who get the studio are in the yeah. BFA or MFA mm-hmm. program. So, yeah. Well, it's yeah. hard to go there. You know, I yeah, have, yeah. all my employees have their studios and it's, I know it's hard to work a job and then go to your fucking studio. Oh, afterwards. yeah. It's all that. It's super, super difficult. And it's right. hard to have a life. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it's necessary and, and Cranbrook was good in, in that regard is like, there's only one thing to do here. There's yeah. no, there's no city around. No here, distractions. Really. No distractions whatsoever. Right. Um, that was always my fear of ever going to school in the city. It's just right. so much to do here. Yeah. That's what true. I really, you know, boredom can be your friend. Mm, uh, boredom's essential. Yeah. Yeah. But no one's bored anymore. In New York, <laughs> I'm bored all the time. <laughs> <laughs> You're here all the time. <laughs> That's why. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, I, I like to say, too, that in here there's so many options to do stuff that it's easier to just work. You know what I mean? Like, you, if I do want to go out and see a good show, I probably have a chance within the next three nights of going to see something I really want to see. Mm-hmm. But I just end up, you know, working all the time or doing what I'm doing. And mm-hmm. But I'm comforted to know that if I do want to go see some good music. It's there. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, there's something to be said for being off like out of that loop and mm-hmm. just being able to be bored and, and just, what am I doing today? I'm going to the studio. There's yeah. That's what LA is for. I think. Yeah. Um, not that there's nothing going on in LA, but it, it takes such an effort to do oh, anything. Yeah. You're, you're committing. Off. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're better off just staying at your studio. Right. It's like, I'll just take the four hours that I would spend in traffic yeah. and make work. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it like after Cranbook straight to New York, straight to New York? Um, I was sort of like the last wave of people moving to Williamsburg, I guess, at uh-huh. that time. So it was probably 95, like right. the last wave of artists, let's say, moving, yeah. moving to Williamsburg. Still it's when it started to clean started up changing a touch. Around, around that that time, I think. Um, Were you over near Bedford at that time? Mm-hmm. I was on uh, Roebling and Hope. So that's, uh, do you remember the Roebling Tea Room? You remember that place? Oh, yeah. So I, was I, c- I lived in, uh, on Havima- Grand and Havemeyer, okay, so which is a block away. A block from, away, yeah. yeah. By... Uh, M. Shanghai. Oh, you were, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that was my neighborhood. Yeah. Like, that was my block, let's say. Right. That changed a lot. That changed a lot, yeah. I mean, Grand is a thoroughfare now. When I moved there, it was the Stinger and Iona. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those were the only places yeah, right. you could go to. Yeah. And Stinger the, was fun. Right. But by the time I le- left and moved, I could eat around the world within four blocks. Yeah. There were so many, like, restaurants from different cuisines and stuff. You know, right, it, was, right. it was a big shift. But yeah. So, so you, you moved there? We moved there. I moved there with some friends from Cranbrook. We got it. We managed to get a floor, top floor in oh, the that's good. warehouse you, building. So you we came could, with numbers. 
Th- uh, three of us total, yeah. That helps. So it helps a lot, yeah. yeah. So with three of us, we were able to afford 7,000 square feet. I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> this is insane, right? <laughs> Come and again? We were paying like 2,000 bucks. It was bonkers. Oh. Um, maybe it was like 5,000 square feet, but it was, a, it was a big space, and we were able to build essentially an apartment in one corner, mm-hmm. and the rest was just open studio for the three of us. And we had like, uh, you know, we had... Sp- spare rooms for like uh, storage and, and venting and you know, ventilation room. Yeah. And uh, it was a pretty sweet deal. And I think I was one of the, I like to think that I was one of the last people to get such a sweet deal moving in there because I s- just saw the neighborhood change so quickly. Right. But it was a really, really free environment. You know, you can grind metal on the sidewalk. You could do anything you wanted over yeah. there. And, and it felt so much more free than let's say the, like the Lower East Side right. where like the, hipness was yeah i like the the wildness of the scene that was happening in williamsburg so i would never go you know you hear people my generation talk about like the scene at max fish and all that stuff right i was not part of that scene at all like i didn't know any of those people yeah uh, you could, stayed put you stayed put mostly i was i was working a job you know full-time job and then go going home to the studio at, at night yeah and that was that was my life and i'd go see shows when i could right um and you know party also but all the party options were really close to me. So I didn't, you know, I didn't get out of the neighborhood all that much. Was the day job in the creative field? I, yeah, it was. I started, um, working for Coons when I first got here, basically. It was like, um, I got that job like weeks after I arrived. Sculpture end or sculpture end. It was actually before he had a painting studio. So, uh, I was there, during the run-up to the celebration series, so right. like a balloon dog yep. and tulip bouquet and the cat in the sock, <clears throat> all that, all, and the play-doh yeah. pile, all that stuff, and so the painting studio was just getting going when when I was there, and I was there for about two years. Did uh, it uh, inform or kind of like something about a studio that big being run that way? Did you kind of feel it was like so foreign the the way that studio was run? I mean, first of all, it was run really poorly. It was it was like chaos all right. the time it was like <laughs> two completely dysfunctional studio managers who yeah. were pitted against one another and like the studio was going bankrupt constantly it was a it was oh, it sounds fun it was <laughs> it was a shit show uh it's run very differently now i think yeah i'm sure um but it was bonkers you know yeah. it was like working in a rodan studio or something you know just so many people around and it was fun and i i learned a lot <clears throat> and I was a big Jeff Koons fan yeah. back then, so I was I was invested in the work in a way that felt you know rewarding. I didn't mind working fifty hours a week there. I was getting paid pretty well. Yeah. Um, were you uh, learning? Uh, did you know all the materials you were using, or did you? I knew learn most some of the stuff? materials, but I learned a lot from from the other employees there. Yeah. Uh, there, there there was some real talent. There. Yeah. Little so, tips and like shortcuts huge and tips, things. That, huge yeah. tips. Just just. Uh, I mean every. You, you learn how to work fast in that environment, too. It's like, yeah. okay, we need to get this done, uh, and and the clock is ticking. Right. You know, in the studio, you can hem and haw. Your own studio, that is. Yeah. You can hem and haw over things, but when you're in an environment like that where it's really about money. Deadline. And deadline. Yeah. You, gotta you, get you it learn done. real quick to cut through the bullshit and get stuff done. Yeah. And uh, that that... I've internalized pretty well. Yeah, it's a good life skill. It is a good life <laughs> skill. And you don't, you, you don't learn it until you're in that environment where yeah. it's like a pressure. It's really the heat is on and you're, and you're working hard towards something. Yeah. Not many emerging artists have like, you know, pretty much none have that deadline or that like pressure and 
the, the no. scope of what they're getting done and dealing with. Right. When know? I when I had my first show, my my dealer at the time said, you know, Tony, you're never going to have this much time to work on a show again in your life. Yeah. And that's that was obviously true. Yeah. Um, it's hard though to to understand it until you go through the ringer. You know what I mean? It's true. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it's like I same when you tell people in college, like you're never going to have a studio like this again. Like mm-hmm. the, all this time to think about your work, and, yeah, right, and just do all this. It's like, it's well, it like, feels so crushing when you're doing it at the moment. You know, yeah. like uh, it's, I certainly didn't feel like I had all the time in the world when I was making my first show. It felt right. nerve wracking, and yeah. uh, I was terrified and nervous. Um, so it didn't feel like a luxury at the time, right? Um, but you, you know, you realize it is. Yeah. So did you, uh, what, what was the community outside of your, you know, your friends from Cranbrook that you moved down with? Were you meeting people in the neighborhood or how did you sort of met people in the neighborhood? Work there, was, out there. there was a good, um, there's a lot of artists around obviously. And if, if you could spot them right away, if you're a, if you're a white kid with a certain, certain pants on you just know that that guy's an artist and that woman's an artist it's just then you see them at the same bars and so it was a it was a nice community in that regard yeah um its own like little provincial scene right uh and we there was a network from people from graduate school and of course you meet people through them and house parties and stuff like that the way i first got the the work into the world was that um the dealer I ended up working with, his name's uh, Stefano Basilico. Yeah. He had a gallery called Basilico Fine Arts. Yeah. On Wooster, right? On Wooster, yeah. yeah, right next to Deitch. Yep. Actually, he was. it was him and Petzl that were sharing yep. like a little space. Yeah. Were you around then? Yeah, I, I remember that that group show with Matthew Ritchie. And, like, it was a really great group show. I think that was the the first time I like really remembered the gallery, or, you know, that, uh-huh. that I got like a little catalog thing from it. Right, okay. But, but yeah, I remember that uh-huh. space down there. Um, I wasn't here in New York, Lock, Sock, and Barrel yet, mm-hmm. but I was coming down from school. You know, I was mm-hmm. like in and out at that point. Mm-hmm. I didn't move here until 99. Till when? 99. 99. Yeah. Oh, well, that's that's early. Into the Gretsch building. I oh, really? Same, Is that right? The same situation oh, you did. Oh, my God. I moved in with some friends because uh, I started working at Macy's doing windows. That yeah, was my yeah, first cool. gig. Like you know, production stuff. Uh-huh, the Gretsch building was like the luxury building forever. Like we would look at that and we'd be like... You know, Sarah Charlesworth was in there. Oh right? yeah, and uh, yeah. Vanessa Beecroft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Miltos Manetas. Right, yeah. So we yeah. were like, that's where all the all the ballers live. Right. In the yeah. Gretsch building. Yeah, I wasn't balling at all. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't balling. I was lower on the totem board. Yeah, I was like yeah, on the third still, floor. Oh, that's so funny. That's but great. yeah, it was. I went. I met some people that I worked with who were Columbia grads, but they weren't making art. Mm-hmm. So I had a bunch of space to make work. And, you know, we had, it was divvied up, but it was huge. It was mm-hmm. gigantic. And yeah. I paid $700 a month. Yeah. And then you got to see uh, Diner open. Oh, yeah. yeah. I went there all the time. Yeah. That was the only place to get food around there. Yeah, I know. You'd see Andre Serrano in there, you know. I feel like I him. made that guy rich off of all the fucking hamburgers I bought there. Oh, <laughs> well, it's good, though. Andrew. Yeah, yeah. It's good. Yeah, we, I would go there. That was like my, I, I try to think back to what I ate while I lived down there. Because yeah. I lived there for a while. And I think it was just bodega pasta. 
and like scrambled eggs and before then that diner. Place, before diner opened you mean yeah and then once diner opened it was like i would eat french fries yeah right. like that was my diet for <laughs> right. me yeah me too, me too. <laughs> this is like keeping myself alive you know i, w- I was watching a movie the other day it's, it's a it's a ron i think it's a ron howard movie and it's uh it's called the paper uh-huh. do you know this movie i know of it but i haven't I don't, the I haven't very seen first scene takes place in diner before it was diner so you remember when it was like that little um pancake joint yeah a little yeah. breakfast place mm-hmm. Uh, run by that mom and his, and her son. It takes place in that pre-diner building. It zooms out, and there's like a murder uh, of um, some guys under the Williamsburg Bridge. Uh-huh. So it all that kind of takes place in Williamsburg there. Right. I spotted it immediately. It was funny. Like, I know uh, that. <laughs> I, like two seconds of the interior of the former building. It's yeah. Like you'd spot it. Um, the first time I visited that area, I was in undergraduate school. This is 90. 94 I mm-hmm. think 93 94 maybe and I remember w- my friend had a friend who went to uh, Parsons and but he lived right uh, next to the Broadway diner mm-hmm. before it was you know it was, I remember visiting and taking the JMZ and it was like I s- there was like it was like the Dust Bowl yeah yeah that was that's what was so exciting about it to me you know like we I had a bunch of friends who were around uh, kind of everywhere in that neighborhood you know we would we we could like work on cars outside yeah. like uh just do anything we wanted without anyone bothering us right. whatsoever there was just you know? no one around no one around yeah there was, was a guy i worked with at macy's he was a freelancer who'd come in he was probably at that time like 45 um just like a, one of those yeah man mm-hmm. i got a place down in williamsburg let's go hang out <laughs> yeah, and right. one day i went and checked out his place and it was right near there right near the diner the whole building and it was just shit every like he was like a hoarder, but he was an artist, yeah. but he never made art. Uh-huh. But he had this whole building that now would be, you know, worth whatever. Yeah. But I think he's paying like $100 in rent a month or something. Like he's yeah. just giving the guy, cleaning it up once in a while. Or my, my friends had a place in the basement of Whole Foods. Oh, yeah. Whole yeah. Foods is like yeah. right where the meat counter is, was like their, their apartment. And we would go outside and hit golf balls <laughs> down into the river from, from Wife. There? You know, because there was n- nothing yeah, was between flat. here and there. That's surreal. It was like a Berlin kind of environment, you know. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people fell in love with that neighborhood, is it felt it just felt so so different, right? And and so open and full of possibilities. Yeah, and it was just not. It wasn't zoned for anything right. back yeah. then. Yeah, so right. it was just flat, and you know, now there's high rises. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so. But you were making some connections and started making showing your work. So and what was your work when you first started, like those early days when you got here? What were you making? Like, what? I was making a kind of quasi-figurative art um, that was stylized in a kind of di- Disney-fied way, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but but usually they would focus on kind of uh, um, fi- figures in crisis, let's say. You mm-hmm. know, like so I made a, a sculpture of... a two seals like a mother seal and a baby seal in kind of a pool of oil that it was rendered in a kind of uh, theme parky kind of yeah. um, rendering and I like the contrast of those those two things and they were kind of nuzzling one another so it was a kind of uh, lo- like a loving um, gesture that the mother was giving to the to the dying child <laughs> and th- things along those those lines right yeah and um so when I was in graduate school, I met Stefano mm-hmm. um, because I invited him to come out as one of the visiting um, lecturers to look at our thesis show, yeah. essentially. 
So we hit it off at that point. He said, when you moved to New York, and we didn't talk about me moving to New York. He just assumed that that's what I would be doing. When you get here. When you get here, <laughs> don't be a stranger. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of all I needed to hear because because that was that would be I was like okay my foot is in that fucking That's an door. Open door let's yeah, yeah. get let's get that happening right i'm not passing on that opportunity no way yeah. i mean i'm going to move i'm going to pack my bags and move my ass across the country because some guy said don't be a stranger right you know and i'm going to move into an unheated fucking loft <laughs> and work you know 100 hours a week and because that my foot is in that fucking door yeah. and it's never going to open again and right. i knew that it's blind faith, too, in a way, because he could have just, you He could have just ignored me from yeah. that. I mean, people say that all the time. Right. Uh, but, um, but I didn't have anything else. I didn't have any other hot tips. Right. Um, you didn't want to go back to I like wasn't a boring environment or, you know. I, I knew that there was no art galleries in Delavan, Wisconsin. I knew that <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. Right. Um, people ask me all the time, like, what, you know, what should I do after school? What, this kind of thing. Well, you, it depends on what you want, but if you want to play, if you want to play ball, you need to show up to the field. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's my advice. Yeah. Right? And so usually the kind of people who are driven and want to make a go of it are, you know, don't need that much conjoling to, to move somewhere where it's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like those who are like, yeah, I want to do it. I want to go do it are probably going to be the ones who are driven and go do it yeah, right. and the ones who are like i don't know no. yeah well it's scary though it I mean, is yeah, no and especially a, nowadays because it's it, when you have a giant sack of debt on your head giant you know. sack of debt and absolutely no afford affordable zero studio okay I, I don't know how young artists are doing it moving here i don't either crazy it's 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 really risky um join a team and get ready to couch surf or like you know yeah like rough it i guess y yeah join join a team get a few friends and get a place in east new york i yeah. guess i mean is that where i don't know where people <laughs> i know are, i have no idea i don't I, I have no idea where people are getting uh i wouldn't go to bushwick that's for sure I mean, no I, no that seems like a a humongous I mistake think, uh, Pennsylvania or Wisconsin might be a good choice. Pennsylvania <laughs> might not be a bad choice. Yeah. It's close. That's true. It's the fifth borough, right? And that's where Jeff Koons is currently situated. Well, that's where his farm is. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we could just say that. For the right. <laughs> Koons lives there. Yeah. Yeah, it's like Pennsylvania is the new uh, Williamsburg. <laughs> you, can, you can have a lot of space and livestock. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I grew up in Pittsburgh, so, you know. Like, oh, right. And I teach at Penn State, so yeah. I drive there, you know. And I'm in Pennsylvania a lot, and it's amazing, like, the amount of space one can have. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? When you get outside the city, it's yeah. pretty crazy. But, like you're saying, and when people ask me, when students ask me, do I need to move to the city? It's kind of like, well, you, you kind of do. Yeah. At least unless, for a little. Uh -huh. unless, get, unless you could do something really spectacular, like, uh, do you know, you know the Green Gallery in Milwaukee? I don't. You know those guys like yeah. uh, John Riepenhoff and Scott Reeder and Tyson. Oh, Scott Reeder and yeah, Tyson. So he's in Detroit now, but but uh, those guys when they were all in Milwaukee and Chicago in the Midwest really made that almost an attraction. Yeah. You know, and they really leveraged their Midwestern identity. Yeah. And made a quasi collective, not really a collective, but made a gallery, showed their friends, made it into. But they showed up to the big fair. You know, they right. they were like, okay, we got to take this show on the road. Yeah. We'll retain our identity. We'll retain our 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 home base. Yeah. But we're gonna take the show on the road, and um, 
to connect. To connect, yeah, 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 and offer people like something weird and something different because everyone else is in New York or LA and big cities have this kind of cosmopolitan attitude and disposition. And here are these guys who don't have any of that yeah. and are weird, but they're still in the room um, and doing interesting, odd things. Kind of like the and Royal Art Lodge. They did that too. Royal Art Lodge. That's that was like Marcel Zama he, and John Plipchuk and uh, all those yeah, guys okay, in Canada. Yeah. Uh-huh. They were like in right. the middle of yeah. snow, <laughs> covered in snow. You know. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, it's a, you can create that for yourself. You, if you're lucky, yeah. yeah. Well, you got to be driven, I guess. You got to be driven, yeah. yeah. Isn't that the, that's the key? That's the key. You have to also have to be interesting. You, know, you can't just Yeah, be that's driven. true. That's a good point. Like those guys, the Milwaukee guys, they're just, they're so smart and funny and and different different yeah that it it mattered a lot yeah they kind of stick out like that kind of you know the unique side of their yeah their work and yeah. who they are yeah so yeah i guess you know being in the city has its you know pluses and minuses yeah well the rent is a, is a minus yeah yeah the culture is great but the rent is meeting people is really useful you know like i run into people on the street all the time yeah you know um yeah community is I think undersold. Mm-hmm. Like it's a really great um, thing for the, your work and for your psyche, you know, creatively to be talking to people about what what you're doing and and going to group shows and you know, not it's funny because I don't really go to openings much, but just seeing people's work and how it's and going to studios is such a valuable thing. I think mm-hmm. so. Maybe that's the saving grace. Like you know, young people move here; it's expensive, but you find a way. Yeah, I, there, there's that, but there's also just meeting someone at a bar by chance. Yeah, it's like, oh, here we are. You know. Yeah, it happens too. You would think that that's BS, but it's amazing what a small world it is. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. I used to, I mentioned Heim earlier. Yeah, but I run into to him Heim Steinbach you know, every other day yeah. and it's cool. Yeah, it and, is. and, uh, you know, I remember when Joe Bradley was in the neighborhood, we would bump into each other all mm-hmm. the time. We, we have nothing professionally really in common, but making those connections is so valuable and makes you feel like you're in it. Yeah. You know, not just, it isn't just valuable in a mercenary sort of way. It's right. valuable in a wholesome kind of way. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. It feeds a weird abstract part of your your process and your soul. Yeah, because I'm in it. Oh, it, you can right, make we're the, in the same, same. We're walking the same streets. We're in the same fucking game. Exactly. That's great. Yeah, you you and I could make the same exact work in the middle of the farms of Pennsylvania, and it'd probably be easier to do it in some sense mm-hmm. because you have more space and it's cheaper or whatever. But but there were, you the biggest fear is that feeling of like, am I just doing this? Am I like you know, in a forest and the tree falls? Right. You know? Yeah. Because anyone engaging yeah, like the kind of Vincent Van Gogh myth, you know, like I'm I'm a a solitary artist just doing my thing, right? When when in fact that's not at all what was happening. No, (laughs) and then making artists communicating, and if you're not talking to anyone, why? Yeah, you're just making it for yourself. (laughs) Exactly. You're in the basement. Jeff said something I thought was really interesting. He's like, you know, um, I he's like I could be a great painter, but you know, I just enjoy moving the paint around too much. And uh, I can't be engaged in that kind of masturbation. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, all right, first of all, there's no way you can paint well. (laughs) (laughs) You had to buy that that line off of someone to sell that you're a great painter who just doesn't have time for that kind of activity. I enjoy it too much. Right, right. (laughs) I'll let these other people. Yeah, yeah, they're going to take that. I'll enjoy myself in other ways. Right. I'm sure By he, actually masturbating. Right, right. I'm sure he does. 
So when you were uh, when you were living in Williamsburg, was there just to connect to music a little bit? Were you che- was there live music? Were you checking yeah, there, it out? Yeah, there was music. There was uh, what were you pl- into? Um, what was I into? Well, that was a time when like <laughs> the you know the yeah yeah yeahs were a thing. Yeah, uh, which I wasn't particularly into, but that mm-hmm. was that was happening. Um, there was a kind of what else was going on in that neighborhood that was interesting? I can't really remember so much, but it was the birth of I guess you would call it the electro clash yeah. kind of movement, right? So there was a lot of that stuff going on at parties, and um, some of it was really theatrical and pretty interesting, yeah, uh, and sounded strange. And um, so I was into, I was listening to that stuff and go, trying to make it to as many of those shows as possible, yeah. Um, but I wasn't I wasn't going out to that much music. When I would see music, it would be more like going to see Ween or something like that okay. in the city, you know. But there, but there was local stuff that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, God, Ween. Yeah. Great. Stupid shit like that. <laughs> well, that's a good transition too, because I want to ask you about humor, which obviously is such a huge part of your work. Yeah, I guess. Always been. I, I, well, you know, I don't. I know it's in the work. Um, but I don't think about it much. Um, and I don't even, I honestly don't really think any of it's very funny. Um, no, I don't mean humor as in like, no, you know, I, 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 I know what you're getting at. Um, I, I think the work is dead serious. Yeah. Um, and I do see the humor in some of the things, but I, again, I don't really think about it. Um, that might be a Midwestern, uh, like a kind of regional impulse, actually. Uh, yeah. Like I grew up really liking um, all that Harry Who, Chicago yeah. Images stuff. and um, Which is the language of humor, but it's not funny, a lot of it. It's sinister, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's like, so Jim Nutt, for instance, like a lot of those kind of cartoony things, I guess has a lang maybe, yeah, a language of, well, it's cartoony, which, for one thing. Yeah, which that's I guess is the kind shell of, of humor. Yeah. Um, but it's but it's all violent and super sexual and, yeah. and um, so I don't like Chris Ware. His stuff looks so pretty and mm-hmm. cartoony and light, but mm. it's so heavy and depressing. <laughs> you know, there's different shells that you could kind of put. Yeah, that, th- and stand up comedy is is comedy. It's supposed to be funny, but <laughs> right, it's dark it's super shit. Dark, yeah. It's it's all dark stuff. Yeah. You know? But it's that language of you know you can pull someone in. Like in your work, it's there's a a lot of times when I'm looking at it, there's that there's a little playfulness to it, or just something just off, mm-hmm. in in a seemingly playful way. But it's it's pretty. Well, the language of the grotesque is the 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 uh, collision of those things, right. right? Like the collision of humor and uh, maybe something abject or something violent, uh, or the ren- the playful rendering of something really horrendous or or uh, serious. Yeah, and those things when they collide form a kind of friction that is the grotesque, right? You don't, it's that moment where uh, you don't know if it should be pretty, you don't know if it should be funny, it, it, it's, a, it's confusion. Right. Um, and I've always been attracted to that, um, that moment in, in art, you know? Um, it's a so, pow- it can so be a really powerful thing, you know, like that. Like I remember seeing The Painter the Paul McCarthy mm-hmm. video at MoMA yeah. uh-huh. when I was younger and like that had a big effect because it was grotesque in a way, but mm-hmm. it was it also kind of slapsticky. Yeah. It seemed like it was in a language of humor yeah. or like slapstick or uh-huh. cartoon, but it was just depressing and yeah. grotesque at the same time. Yeah. 
and it really kind of sticks with you. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's because of those cross signals of the language. I, th- I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. It's not too one thing. It's not too in your face. Like this is grotesque, grotesque, you know, like, mm-hmm. like a scary to me, scary movies that are more based in reality are more frightening than just, you know, like something that's cartoony. Yeah. Like scary. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So do you think that's kind of the language of your work? I, you know, it's funny to step outside of myself and think about it that way. It's, it's something so internal to me. Um, it's like intuitive. The way uh, yeah. That you in, think in a sense. I mean, <laughs> um, I've never really been comfortable talking about the, the, the humor in the work because it, I, I, like, like I said, I, I do know it's there. People talk about it. Yeah. Um, but I just don't, I don't ever consider it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a difficult I, thing to, nothing to say about it. <laughs> you don't have to, <laughs> not at all. Well, that's the thing. Everyone's going to take their own interpretation or bring their own kind of like reading into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think one of the things that's really interesting about your work is that it's not, it doesn't come to a point for me like yeah, it's, there's there's kind of a looseness good, yeah. in there that okay. it's like what the hell's going on here yeah <laughs> I, I like and it's that. I visually like seductive but it's also like off-putting and yeah i like that because it's uh, you know art is one of the few things that actually has that that is allowed that territory yeah you know? like um psychedelics you know like a drug experience for instance if i look if, if you look at like an object like this is a cup yeah a friend and I were talking about this the other day. If this is a cup, I know this is a cup. There's all kinds of meaning in this object right now, right? right. Like, it's uh, it's its contents are known to me, so I see this as a cup. But when you're on psychedelics, it's a way of breaking down that that um, the content of of uh, objects, right? Yeah. So when you're on psychedelics, you see a cylinder that is made of paper, you know. So the the meaning of the object falls away. Right. And I think art is one of those places that can operate that way. Yeah. You know, like, um, it's, it's, uh, it's never, it's never quite what it seems. It doesn't necessarily have to add up to any meaning at all whatsoever. Right. Um, it can be, it's one of the few things that is meaningless, you know, and you, you draw your, you make your own meaning out of it. Yeah. It's um, truly abstract in a way. It can be. Yeah. Like conceptually yeah. abstract. Yeah, it can be. It's, it's if, if you're not, uh, Robert Longo or something. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> On Kawara or something like that. <laughs> right. Know. Well, I mean, even that. No, that is too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess it all is, really. It's kind of like dreams in a way, too. Right, yeah, that's right. Like, I'll have, a, you know, everyone has had the dream, or most people, where they're in front of class and they're not wearing any pants. That's and, that, and you wake up from that, and it's perplexing. It's profound. <laughs> well, uh, d- dreams are an interesting, interesting point because they, they are full of recognizable moments. Yeah. Right. Like because they're, it's your subconscious. Right. So you, it's okay. Have I'm have walking down reference. the street, but then the next moment th- there's, there's so much nonsense involved and it never, ever adds up. Yeah. You know, and, um, that I think is a, is a good way to think about art. Um, it's recognizable. You can make sense of what the objects are like, like, uh, you know, the things I make are really represent, you know, you could see what they are. Yeah. They, they're, they're, they're clear in, in, um, what they represent, but they don't always make sense together. They don't always add up in a way that is coherent. Um, and, and, uh, that's important. Yeah. You're hoping that's like a magical realism kind of, kind of attitude, you know, not, not like a surrealist thing where things are, uh, 
shape shifting and moving around, and it's more just um, two strange things put together that make another thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, when things are slightly off. Just slightly off, that right? That can like, really exactly, stick like, with you. Yeah, and I, and that's why I think about the, a psychedelic experience in, right. in relation to that. You know, like uh, when things are slightly off, um, they it it shapes our own. You think about your own reality then, in in a way, you know. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's so easy to fall into the default. You know what I mean? Of like what reality is. R- right. Right. And it's and when art is too goofy and too wacky, you know, then it's just an art thing. Yeah. Uh, and and it's like, oh, that's just some goofy art. Right. Um, like I think of surrealism in that way. Yeah. Uh, like true surrealism is like, right. well, okay, that's that's out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because when you were describing that whole the reaction to the dream comment too, I started thinking about Twin Peaks. Yeah. I yeah, think that, it has that yeah. weird. Like it's well, when just I was first, off. it's funny when I was first m- making like the, the main sculpture I ever showed, which is called lost and sick. It's uh-huh. a sculpture of yeah, yeah. some boy scouts, uh, <laughs> lost and sick. I in, remember in, that in one kind of, kind of tableau. I thought of it. I described it as a kind of David Lynch scene, a scene from a David Lynch movie, yeah. you know, like where, um, it's kind of a dream moment. Right. You know, I wanted it to kind of operate as a like thought bubble, you know? So the rendering was kind of weird. The rendering of the piece was kind of weird. It was on a little island yeah. that I thought of as kind of like you would see that in literally a thought bubble of someone. You right. Know? <laughs> like a little cartoon. Yeah. All those New York yeah, cartoons. Exactly right. A guy yeah. in the island. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, if you can if you can liken your art experience or like making a piece to a Lynch movie, I think it's pretty good. Well, it was an idea. I don't know if anyone else had <laughs> that feeling. <laughs> well, I just was, was thinking of like Twin Peaks kind of has that that sort of just off. It's mm-hmm. not like surreal, surreal, but it seems to be housed in kind of a reality. But well, it's even the language in which the the move the show is filmed, yeah. right? Like it takes this is this is how I think about artwork too. Is like I, I don't I'm not interested in in Bob's gonna grind in one second. Maniac over there. It's gonna get loud. It's all right. We'll wait. Okay. <laughs> it's There's not, no stopping. I like guy. that you saw that coming. <laughs> I worked with Bob for like eight years. I know. I know Bob his body movements. Yeah. <laughs> He's getting ready to grind. <laughs> so um, I'm I'm never really that interested in creating a new visual language. Like that, that to me is is um, maybe not what I'm good at. Not what I'm certainly not what I'm interested in. Yeah. What I like to do is use existing vernaculars um, to get to communicate quickly. You right. know, and to to um, There's an understanding, use them almost as right? ready mades. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And so I think about Twin Peaks employs that logic, too, because it's filmed in kind of like a language we all understand as soap opera. Right? Yeah. Although it's on at night and all these weird things are happening in a in a very un soap opera kind of way. And the collision of those aesthetic forces is really interesting. And it, that generates meaning in and of itself. Yeah, I think um, I think that's why it was so popular considering how weird it was or, you know, how, right. Because like, there was that hook like, OK, I get I get visually what what this is. But nothing is adding up. Yeah. Except for the pie and coffee. Anyway, so well, why don't we talk a little bit about what you're working on now? So you said you just you just shipped out two? We just shipped out two shows. Two shows. Um, one is going to San Francisco, and it's part of, it, it's in this place called 500 Cap Street. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, you know that place? Oh, well, is that, does Bob Linder have anything yeah, to Bob, do with that? Yeah, Bob runs it, yep. Yeah, Bob and was a friend of mine. We went to Skowhegan together. Oh, really? Yeah. Bob's great. He's great. So that is David Ireland's 
uh, house, old yeah. house, and he was a, a Bay Area artist for people who don't know. Yeah. Um, and the house became kind of a, a kind of total work of art, mm -hmm. right? So he, while he was renovating it, he was making notations of how it was. So it is like a layered, like palimpsest of marks, yeah. let's say. And uh, his sculptures are all over in the interior. But after he died, uh, they turned it into a foundation. And, and Bob, I think it was Bob's idea to invite contemporary artists to come in and do kind of um, show their own work within the house as yeah. a kind of conversation with the house and, and uh, David's legacy. Yeah. Um, so that's, I'm that's doing, a cool project. It is a cool project. And, uh, you know, artists don't ever get to show their work in houses the way they want to. You know, well, you, they always see their work in houses and they... Speaking from for myself, it never is is how you want it. Yeah, it's always um, different. It's always a compromised kind of situation, because you can see of the work outside of a domestic environment, right. and you most of us think about a white wall and a in an empty space, so you can see the piece, and yeah. that's it. And sometimes you get pictures of the work when the collectors put it up, yeah. and you're like, eh, I don't know if I would. Yeah, put of course, it in but I mean, it's what are you what hey, are you gonna do? Yeah, it's great <laughs> that they have it. They yeah. have it. It's theirs. Um, and it's interesting to to think about the work. That's where it goes. That's where it lives. Yeah. It actually really should be made in that environment. I should put some couches in here. And, right. Uh, some some TV, drapery. Some windows, yeah, exactly. Just make an armoire. <laughs> Store all your stuff in armoires. That's right. <laughs> that's but it's idea. funny that art gets made in, a, in an environment that is so completely foreign to its final destination. That is true. Yeah, um, it's shown, made and shown in foreign I guess that's why they have viewing rooms and galleries in the back. So you right, have a but even, even those, area. yeah. Right. They're a little sterile. Yeah, they're pretty sterile. So it's fun to do a show in a house where you can kind of control most of the environment. Yeah. You know? And plus, it's a particularly cool house. Yeah. Um, so Bob and I sort of collaborated on what pieces are going to go in. So some of the work is um, historical of mine, you know, mm -hmm. and some is new. Um. And, and I think we're putting maybe six pieces in there, but it's a small house and, and there's going to be a piece in essentially every room. Nice. Uh, oh, that sounds so cool. Yeah. It's Are you going be, out for it? I'm going out for nice. it. Um, and so I also am doing this kind of collaboration with Margella mm -hmm. that uh, <clears throat> they're doing a show for uh, Fashion Week. And I think last year they did a collaboration with Jesse Reeves. Mm -hmm. um, where she installed a sculpture and the, and the show happened kind of around, around that sculpture. It, yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Uh, so this time it's with me. And uh, so they wanted a few of these marble and bronze um, sculptures. Nice. Uh, so we sent out a really big one, really large piece, and uh, like three or four other pieces. So that's happening at exactly the same time. So I need to kind of be in two places at once in the, wow. next, in the next few weeks. You're going to have to work on that clone the clone, yeah. Quickly. Yeah. <laughs> the doppelganger. You could do that. It'll just be a cutout. It'll Fine. be a, a screen grab of my face. <laughs> Hologram. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to Skype in. <laughs> Tony, party, guys? Tony Ausler it on like a little doll. That's right. Just project your face and <laughs> FaceTime. That's right. That'd be kind of cool. That would be great. <laughs> so those things are coming. That's cool. So those things are coming up and I'm, and, uh, but we literally yesterday at like 3 p.m. shipped everything out. It was yeah. a bit of a, a bit of a haul because the Margella thing was kind of last minute. Right. So uh, uh, it's been it's been tough 
in the studio. Yeah, it's a that's lot. why I'm so faded right now. <laughs> My voice sounds like shit, and I'm I could barely formulate a thought right now. I hope. No, it was great. I hope I'm uh, coherent. Very coherent. Okay, good. And uh, yes, in light of all that stuff. Yeah. Thanks for taking out the time to to talk to me. My pleasure. And uh, and people can see your stuff online. I mean, you do some social media. I am on Instagram. Dabble. My Instagram is just studio stuff, so it's just... I don't think I ever post like a finished work on there. Right. But I have a website. Nice. Your name. It's my name. Sounds good. It's your It's your name. Your Yeah, your name. <laughs> your, like all one word. It's all one. <laughs> no underscore. Your name dot com. Your name dot com. <laughs> <laughs> Who has your name dot com? <laughs> it's gonna get, great. They got to get that. Yeah, so people can check out your work there. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks a lot for talking. Sound and Vision is produced, recorded, edited, facilitated, fabricated, promoted, everything by me, Brian Alfred. You can check out my work at painchanger.com. And you can go to iTunes and rate and review the podcast. It really helps. Take out a moment. If you can, leave us some feedback. Many thanks for your support.